Our theme for 2021 is Hope Starts Here. And after a year like 2020, who couldn't use a little bit of hope? And that's what we're going to be spending each month this year talking about a lesson uh, about hope in various circumstances that we face in life. Because if you think about the word hopeless, hopeless is a tough word. Uh, you think about, we can use that phrase and say, it's a hopeless situation. Uh, those are the kinds of things that become very hard for us when, when life becomes difficult and dealing with situations that appear to seem hopeless. And, and the scriptures give us so many pictures of how to have hope and to keep from despair uh, from the hope that is found in him. And so Lord willing this year, uh, as we have already put the new banners in the back and the signage in the, in the foyer there that to remind us about how we can have hope uh, as we go into this year. For January then, we're going to talk about how to have hope after failure. Uh, for a long time on TV, there was a science television show called Mythbusters. And I enjoyed Mythbusters because they would take every myth and wives' tale and thing that had been passed down uh, orally through the generations and test it to see if it was true or not. But one of the things that I always enjoyed about the show is they had a motto. And the motto was this. Failure is always an option. (laughs) Failure is always an option. And sometimes that's the way it can feel when it comes to our walk with God, is that failure is, is always an option. And what are we supposed to do after those times of failure? And the person that we're going to look at this morning as we consider a hope after failure is the Apostle Peter. If you have your Bibles, the reading was from John 21. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning is in John 21. But before we get to where the reading was there in verses 15 and 17, I want to reverse back just a little bit and notice the scene that is before us to consider what Peter and the apostles are doing at this point. It's a a passage in John 21 that is probably easy to pass over as insignificant, but this beginning point to how this account occurs, I think is really notable. In John 21, and in verse 1, it reads, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught Nothing. Now that seems rather insignificant. Why put all of that there? Why talk about this? But I think it is really fascinating to see that here we are after the death of Jesus and after the resurrection of Jesus, after the empty tomb, 
And you'll notice that Peter and some of the apostles are in Galilee. And what they are doing is, I think, fascinating, where Peter just suddenly says, I'm going fishing. Now, don't think of that like if you said you were going to go fishing. This is not for recreation. This is not something where Peter is saying, oh, you know, I'm kind of bored right now. I think I'll, you know, go relax for an hour or two and get a little boat and go hang out. As you read the account, you will know that this was not recreational. They are out there and they are doing the very thing that they were doing before Jesus came to them and called them. Remember, Peter and Andrew are out there fishing and Jesus calls them in the Matthew and the Luke account. And it is fascinating to me that here we are in Galilee and Peter decides, you know what I want to do and what we should do? We should get those old nets back out that we were using a few years earlier and get those boats back out. Let's get back out on the sea and do some fishing. He doesn't say, we should go around Galilee telling everybody about the empty tomb. We should be fishing for people right now. I want you to consider that Peter and some of these disciples are saying... Let's get back out on the boat again. It's not within the scope of our time, but you'll note that the whole rest of the middle of this paragraph is almost a redo of the calling of the disciples in the first place, where they're out there fishing, they catch nothing. Jesus says, you have any fish? Guess it on their side. The whole thing happens all over again, as if we've forgotten who we're serving and what's happening here. Why is Peter back out there fishing again? Why does it appear that he's picked his career back up and they're back out on the sea and they're back to the way things were? Well, if you know anything about Peter, you know what has happened to him not too long ago. It hasn't been that long that he has experienced essentially what I think would be fair to call a spiritual catastrophe. Where you have a a picture of Peter who was warned by Jesus about the things that were going to happen, that Jesus had even warned Peter that a spiritual catastrophe was coming. Remember that you have Jesus toward the end there in Luke 22 and verse 31 saying to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. I want you to see the picture as Jesus is speaking to the apostles and noting to them this impending spiritual failure. The the first two use of that sentence is actually plural, all of you. 
I've been demanded by Satan to be sifted by wheat. But then he turns his attention to Peter in particular. Satan is going to come hard at Peter. And here is Jesus telling Peter, Satan is coming for you and I have prayed that your faith will not fail in that moment. And you don't even have to know what's going to happen next because Jesus reveals it. Because the very next words of Jesus are, and when you have turned again. I have prayed that your faith will not fail. Parenthesis. It's going to. And when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. This is why Peter responds, that's not going to happen. There's no way. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's not going to happen. And Jesus confirms it again. Before we get to morning, before that rooster crows three times, three times, you are going to deny that you know me. Peter has the warning. Peter has all the necessary information about the things that are going to happen. And I want you to notice how Luke records what happens next in chapter 22 and verse 59 where it reads, And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. This is the third time now that Peter has denied him. And Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Who would not be devastated at that second? Just a few hours earlier, just a few hours earlier. Jesus said, Satan has demanded you and is sifting you like wheat and I've prayed for you and you need to watch out. And now this third time, I don't know what you're talking about. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I don't think we can overstate the weight of what has happened, nor overstate the weight of what Peter feels right now. Peter, who just had said earlier, I would never deny you, I would never reject you, I would go with you to prison, I will go with you to death. Jesus says, that's exactly what's going to happen. You are going to deny me. It happens. Jesus looks at him immediately once that happens. It all clicks into Peter's mind, remembering that whole conversation. And it says that he wept bitterly. Why has Peter returned to fishing in Galilee, even though he's seen the empty tomb? Why are he and the apostles saying, yeah, fishing sounds good. Let's fish all night like we used to in the old days. 
And I believe the answer is clear because he's failed God. He has absolutely failed God. Being warned of what was coming, Peter still failed. Even declaring he was ready, Peter still failed. And I want us to note that the text is trying to show us the weight of this event. Not only here in Luke 22, he went out and wept bitterly. He didn't go out and go, oh man, I failed. That really stinks. He's devastated by this. The devastation is so real that when you have the angel proclaiming the empty tomb to the women, here's the message to tell them. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Why and Peter? Isn't Peter in the disciples group? Go tell the disciples. Why and Peter? Because Peter has failed. Peter's crushed. Peter has not lived up to what he said he would do. And I think that's really the the big picture that's given to us here in John 21. If you're there, as I told you, the scriptures are, are, we're going to spend our time here in John 21. And I want you to see the scene that unfolds now. In John 21 and verse, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, you have to have your setting in mind because the question is not, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples who are standing here? What have they been doing? Fishing. We're back in our career. We're back doing what we were doing before. And remember, we had pulled in a pile of fish back in verse 10 that has now been caught and the large, verse 11, says when they brought the net on the shore full of fish, 153 of them all, there's so many that the net was torn. And so then it is cooked up in verse 15, they're eating breakfast. Peter, do you love me more than this? Verse 15, he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? By the way, as an aside, do you find it interesting that Jesus is calling Peter by the name Simon? Who gave Simon's name to be Peter? Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm not calling you Simon, I'm calling you Peter. Why? Because that name means rock. He doesn't say, hey, rock. Hey, Simon. Do you love me more than these? You with me? Verse 17. Peter was grieved... Because he said to him the third time. Why is Jesus asking Peter three times if Peter loves him? Why does he keep saying it? Simon, you love me? Yes, Lord. 
You know I love you. All right, then feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Why was Peter grieved the third time Jesus said it? Because Peter had denied him three times. Three times Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that guy is. I don't know what you mean. Take an oath. Don't know who he is. And what I want you to see Jesus doing here in this moment is coming to Jesus, coming to Peter and asking him three times, do you love me? And what I want you to really appreciate, to enjoy and just soak in is that Jesus does not come to Peter and condemn him three times. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Then what was that? Hey, Peter, do you love me? What was that? Hey, Peter, do you love me? I told you that was going to happen. I warned you. What was that? He could have done that. He doesn't come to him three times and condemn him. He doesn't come to him three times and chastise him. He doesn't come to him and go, I can't believe you blew it. You are a failure. You are a terrible apostle. I have no idea why I picked you. How are you going to lead this group? Hey, Peter, what are you doing out here fishing? Look at what Jesus does. Peter, do you love me? Then get back to work. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Get back to work. What are you doing? Get back to work. Three times you failed me. Three times now I am bringing you back. Do you love me? You know I love you. Then get back to work. You failed me. That's all right. Get back to work and feed my sheep. Friends, I want us to understand that that is absolutely the message that God gives to us. I know if you've grown up in the pews at all or know the book of Romans of all, you love this verse. Romans 8 verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who does not run to that sentence and hug that all day long? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are the words that are spoken to us when we fail. Friends, I want us to think about this scene with Peter. And I want you to think about these scenes ultimately throughout the scriptures. I would like for you, let's, you know, let's take a test. I'll pass the paper out. We'll get some pencils. I would like for you to name all the people who did not fail God. Go. I know it's going to take a lot of time. Gets a bunch of papers out, you know. Make sure to sharpen those pins. 
Why do we think we're going to be any different? I know we all, I'm going to become a Christian and I'm never going to fail. We are. In fact, if we didn't, then we would have never needed the grace of God and we certainly wouldn't need the blood of Christ. It is so easy for us to come into our walk with God and be so discouraged by failure. So discouraged by how often we fail. You can imagine that with Peter. You were told ahead of time what was going to happen and you did it three times within a matter of an hour or two. Now, I know we never would do that. We would never, oh, okay. Fail God within just a few hours repeatedly. It is such a beautiful picture that is being given here by Jesus that Jesus is showing through Peter to all of his disciples that we can have hope after failure. That all of us are going to have catastrophes of faith that might have happened to you in 2020. You might have let down God. We can look back at our lives, I'm sure, and think about the number of times if we honestly assessed it. The times where we have failed God, where we have just fallen on our faces, where we have denied him, we haven't lived up to our calling, we have just outright not done what we should have done. And I think it's interesting to think about just applying life in general to our walk with God. We have a a, a phrase that we use in life about various circumstances of how we learn to do something. I have a neighbor who is really good at working on cars. I'll have any struggle with a vehicle. I'll go across the street and I'll, I'll ask him about something. And I'll, he was never trained in being a mechanic or anything. And I'll ask him, well, how did you know to do that? And he usually answers this, trial and error. <laughs> trial and error. And if you think about that, that's how we learn. We try, we fail, we learn, we succeed, right? We try it, that didn't work. (laughs) Oops. We learn, and now we're ready to go forward and do it again. Have you ever thought about that with with kids? (laughs) Have you ever watched a toddler learn to walk? You see them, they start standing up and they get ready to go and they finally let go of the the table or they let go of your finger for a minute. And every time, as soon as they let go, they just walk for miles and never fall down, right? I mean, they just go, they walk like they had been alive for 18 years. They just walk and walk and walk. No, it's the cutest thing to see, right? They take an unsteady step or two, wobble around, and then they, boom, then they're down. Has any parent said, what a dumb kid I have? I mean, I can't believe you fell down like that. I mean, what's the matter with you? I mean, seriously, don't you know how to walk? What does every parent do? That was amazing. You took two steps. And what do you do next? Pick them back up. Do it again. 
And you move a little further back. And then if they kind of go, ah, you go, okay, let me get something in my hand. And then you start moving backward <laughs> as they go with you. And what are you doing the whole time? Even though they might fall down, wobble, go sideways, walk cockeyed, they'll go all over the place. What are you doing? That's amazing. We would never criticize our toddler, but we encourage them and help them get back up. And we give them a reward for going further. And I want you to see that that's ultimately what Jesus is saying to Peter and he's saying to us. Your failure does not have to be final. Your failure doesn't have to be final. Peter, you fell down hard. (laughs) Three times you fell down hard. And Jesus simply comes to Peter and says, Do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Then get up and feed my sheep. And that is, I think, such the message that God tries to instill into us. You fell down. You fell down hard, but your failure does not have to be final. Do you love Jesus? Then get back up and keep going. I would submit to you that what is has been so profound to me in learning the scriptures and seeing God's grace and mercy and love is that there is really one time when God ultimately offers judgment, when he does chastise, when he does say, I'm going to bring my wrath. And it's for this. When you fall down and you choose to stay down. That's when God goes, no. Do you love me? Then you get back up. And you feed my sheep. And you keep going. Our failure is only final when we decide that we're not going to get back up again. That we're going to stay down. I give up. I can't do it. God doesn't love me. I've sinned too much. My sins are too big, they're too vast. You have no idea what I've done. These are the things that we walk through. And I want you to think about the scene with Peter. That Think about what Peter has done. That Peter has walked with Jesus for three years, has been in the presence of his teachings, has seen the miracles, is a part of the inner circle. He is going to lead these apostles and he has fallen down in a catastrophic way. And I want you to see Jesus just says, do you love me? Then let's go. Do you love me? Then get back up. Do you love me? Then don't quit. Do you love me? Then let's keep going. It's not over. I'm not done with you. Don't stay down. I hope that we would see that Jesus is like 
the parent of the toddler. And he's not criticizing you because you fell down. The whole reason he came and died is because he knew you were going to fall down over and over and over and over and over again. But he wants to see you get back up and keep going. That's what he wants to see. It's the whole idea of repentance. What is repentance all about except you're going to get back up and keep going? I fell down. I fell hard. God says, get back up. I'm here for you. Will you get back up and walk with Him? This is a permanent message from God and from even this congregation. If you fall down, the only trouble is if you stay down. But you can always get back up. You can always come back. You can always get back on the path with God. That door is always there for you. I don't care how severe the sin or how big the fall. Get back up. Don't stay down. He's not done with you. Feed his sheep. Failure is always an option. And when it comes to walking with Christ, that probably is a no truer statement. Failure is going to happen. Failure is always an option. But we have hope when we fail. And I hope that you will see in the way that Jesus handled Peter, he handles us the exact same way. Don't give up. Just get up. Get up. And walk with your Savior again. Do you love Jesus? Then get up and feed His sheep. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, You are an amazing God. Because we are worthy of every judgment, chastisement, criticism, and every bit of wrath. For how often we have fallen down and failed you. Lord, we have fallen down so many times we can't even count it. Thank you, Lord, for always being there to pick us up. Thank you for loving us like children. That even as we fall down or wander off to the side. That you are always there to pick us up and put us back on the path. And Lord we thank you for the hope that we have after failure. And Lord we pray that. You would always give us the courage and the desire to not fall down and stay down. But to see your love and to get up again. 
Lord, I pray that you would override our guilt, override our hearts that condemn us so often, that tell us that we shouldn't be trying, that we shouldn't do this, that we should just simply give up. Come in and be stronger than that that sometimes rings in our heads. Help us to remember that there's no sin too great that your grace cannot cover. Lord, pick us up when we fail. Give us the strength we need to move forward. And Lord, we pray that you would always see our hearts that always are saying and crying out to you how much we love you. And that we will continue to walk forward with you every day that you give us. Thank you for this amazing hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing invitation song now. And it is a hope to you. The hope is to you. You have not messed up your life so bad that you cannot be forgiven. You have not made decisions so great that you cannot come back. The only thing that you can do that you cannot recover from is by quitting and staying down. There's no coming back from that. God didn't give up on you. You cannot give up on God. Come back to Him. Love Him. Serve Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. And I hope that image helps. You're going to fall down. He'll pick you back up. Anyway, we can help you respond to his invitation to turn to him with all of your heart. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, today is the day to do that. Won't you come to him now while we stand and while we sing?